Welcome to New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. scripture this morning is from the second chapter of the book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one of them speaking, because each one heard them speaking in the, na- in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia. Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known, let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see vision, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, I'm Pastor Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and we are today closing up our sermon series called Proof. And over the last six or seven weeks uh, since Easter, we've been talking about uh, these stories that have gone on in the Gospels. And these stories are interesting stories because um, the disciples experienced something pretty spectacular. After Jesus was crucified and buried, um, his body went missing. And then the disciples began to see Jesus. And they thought he was a ghost. They thought maybe it was a trick. Um, But sure enough, no, it was actually Jesus. He stood among them and he ate meals with them. He talked to them. They touched the holes where he was crucified. Jesus was resurrected. He was brought back to life after he had died. And so we've just been exploring these really incredible stories of the disciples interacting with a dead man, someone who should be dead, but who in fact was alive. 
And we've been looking at these things because we believe, um, Pastor Ben and I do, that our faith is reasonable, that it's actually quite reasonable to be a Christian. And so we've been looking at why we believe that and why these interactions, these eyewitness testimonies of Jesus uh, provide evidence for us. We've talked about kind of two main things uh, that's kind of been a theme throughout this series. And the first one um, is what, what is faith? And Hebrews 11 uh, defines faith as a conviction of things not seen. And that word conviction means the belief in evidence, trust in the evidence that we can see. So we believe that there are evidences that we can observe that point us to something that we can't observe. We were not there when Jesus was resurrected, but people were. In fact, Paul writes in one of his letters that over 500 people saw Jesus at one time after he was resurrected. And then he lists off several of them. And he says, if you have any questions, go ask them. They were there. They saw the resurrected Jesus. So there were people who actually saw Jesus resurrected, who interacted with him and touched his body and ate with him. And so faith is not just blind belief. It's not just belief in something like a philosophy, but it's actually a conviction and a trust in a particular person. Um, That person is Jesus. The second thing that's kind of been um, a theme throughout the last six or seven weeks has been that our faith is not just a belief, like you might believe in a philosophy, uh, but our faith is actually in a person. That is Jesus Christ, crucified, resurrected, and ascended. And in fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17 says that if Jesus was not actually physically, bodily resurrected from the dead, then everything that we do, everything that we say is foolishness. And we actually should be pitied amongst all people. So if there was not an actual physical human person who lived a life in obedience to God, who was crucified because of the way that he operated and was brought back to life by the power of the Holy Spirit and then raised up to be with God in heaven, our faith would be foolishness. And all the things that we've devoted our lives to is foolishness. But we don't believe it is. Um, So we've been looking at all the evidences. And we're actually going to continue on um, talking about the evidences. And today uh, we're going to look at a particular piece of evidence that I think is really compelling. Um, But we start off our scripture this way. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Um, So Pentecost is a Jewish festival, and it's the festival of first fruits. So it's the first harvest of the barley harvest for Israel. And then they would bake bread, and they would bring it to the temple, and they would sacrifice their first cut of barley, and they would bake it into a bread and then bring it to the temple and give it to God. Pentecost is a word that means 50, 50 days. So it's 50 days after the Passover. And now we as Christians, we actually still celebrate Pentecost. And guess what? Today. Today is Pentecost. So happy Pentecost, everybody. And, uh, and Pentecost for us marks something different that happened. And it's still 50 days after Easter. Um, so it always kind of falls about the same time of year. And this is what happened, this particular Pentecost, to the disciples. So the believers were all together and they were praying. And suddenly from heaven... There came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. That's weird, right? That's kind of bizarre. That's not normal. Um, So these believers, they're together and they're praying, and uh, they hear what sounds like a rushing wind, and then they see what looks like fire. 
Um, so it is not, it may, I guess it may have been an actual wind, but at least in the text here, it's something that sounds like a wind and something that looks like fire. And these are two pretty important images, um, just to talk about them real fast. We don't have a lot of time to deal with them. But um, in the Old Testament specifically, wind, the word wind in Hebrew is the same word for breath. So as you're reading the Old Testament, if you see there are three words, spirit, wind, or breath, it's the same word in Hebrew. It's called ruach, that's the, that's the word. And these words um, always signify God's presence. So God's spirit, the wind, the breath of God, was hovering over creation as it was being created. We see that in Genesis 1. We hear about Job who was calling out to God in his despair and he was met with a whirlwind and God's presence was there with him in the whirlwind. So we hear throughout, and there are other places too, but we hear throughout the Old Testament that wind is associated with God's very presence. Um, Also, fire is associated with God's presence. So they would light candles in the, and they would light incense and candles in the temple when God's presence entered the temple. So we see these two images here, the sound of wind and what looks like fire, and they're both associated with God's presence. So on Pentecost, God's presence entered into this room that they were in, signified by the sound of a wind and what looks like fire. And then this is what happens. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, with God's Spirit, and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Another weird thing happened, right? That after they hear this wind and they see this fire, God's presence actually enters into the room and then it actually fills them. It actually fills them. They are filled with God's very presence. They are filled with his breath, this kind of animating presence of God. They are filled with it. And then they begin to speak in other languages. And what happens here is that they actually get charged for being drunk. And so uh, being drunk may actually be a good metaphor for for what happened to them. And oftentimes in the New Testament, um, we see this association between alcohol and the spirit. And it goes a little bit like this. Um, So for example, in in, uh, the life of John the Baptist, an angel comes to Zechariah and he tells Zechariah that John will not drink any alcohol, but instead will be filled by the Holy Spirit. And then later, um, Paul writes in a letter, do not get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. So let's just think about this for a moment. Um, What the image of of somebody who's drunk is, right? So if you've had too much to drink, drink a little bit too much beer, a little bit too much wine, a little bit too much whiskey, and you try to walk, what happens? Can't really... You guys are acting like you don't know what happens. I know you know what happens. What happens? You kind of get, you know, your little, right... That's why they call it tipsy, because you might tip over, right? So you might, you kind of wobble a little bit. That's why if, God forbid, you ever got a DUI, I hope you haven't. Um, But if you get pulled over and you've maybe, you've had too much to drink, which don't do that, please, for the love of all things good, do not drink and drive. Um, And the police do the eye test. Your, Your eyes can't track with their finger or with the light, right? You are out of control. If you drink too much, you actually lose control of your body. You can't walk right, you can't look right, you can't think right. And so drunkenness is actually a lot like being filled with the Spirit, right? With the Holy Spirit. Because when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you are now controlled by the Holy Spirit. Much like when you are filled with too much alcohol, you are controlled by it. So what happens to these believers is they are given the Holy Spirit, they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they are controlled by him. 
And they begin to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability to. They are able now, they have a power, which is exactly what Tim was talking about before. They have a power that they did not have before. Suddenly they were able to speak in languages that they didn't even know because the Spirit was controlling them. That's pretty amazing, right? And this is what we celebrate on Pentecost. So happy Pentecost. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with God's very presence and be controlled by him. And walk with him and listen to his voice as he speaks to you and guides you. Amen? So, happy Pentecost. Be filled with the Spirit. That's not what we're actually going to talk about today. Um, I'm much more interested in talking about what happens later, um, which is what we see here. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the sound of the wind and also the sound of uh, people talking in other languages, uh, the crowd was gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans, which was a region um, in North, uh, North Palestine, um, kind of like, uh, it's like the boondocks, right? So I kind of say Galilee is like the Mississippi, right, of, of the United States, right? It's like way out there and people from there are kind of strange, Right. So that's kind of what it's like. They kind of talk funny, those sorts of things. Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in our own native language? And they list off like 15 or 14 or 15 different places that these people are from. Then it says this. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So... They gather together and they're like, there are people from a region that we know is not very educated. We know um, that they speak with an accent. Um, We know that they're kind of the outsiders. How do they all of a sudden know all these languages? And what could this mean? Um, To get started in this, I I have a funny story. This last week was VBS. Um, Thank you all for those of you who helped. Uh, But after VBS one evening, Mike Mike Clark is like, hey, Eric, you want to go get a drink? And if you've ever volunteered for VBS, you want a stiff drink after the evening is done, right? So you're like, I was like, yeah, let's go, let's go get a drink. So, so Mike, Tim and I, we uh, go out and, and Mike's going to show us a bar in Dixon and we get there and it's closed. And we're like, why is this place closed? Why would it be closed? And we realize, oh, because it's Monday evening, right? It's Monday evening. So of course the bar is closed. We try a second bar and it's closed. And we're like, okay, we'll just go to Angelo's and, and we'll get a drink there. We go to Angelo's and it's closed. And finally we're like, we're kind of losing hope. And we find a bar that is open and it's packed. It's full. The parking lot is full of cars. And we're like, of course, because it's the only place open on Monday night. And, uh, and so we walk into this bar, you know, and it's kind of dimly lit. We walk in and everyone, it's full of people and it's loud and people are talking and laughing. We walk in and it kind of gets quiet and everyone looks at us. And it's like trying to figure out who we are, right? And we're like, this is kind of weird. And so we kind of like walk in and we shuffle. We find a little table in the corner away from everybody else. And we go sit down and we're like, this is kind of weird. There's like a big pizza out here in the middle of the, of the table. And like everyone's, you know, talking to each other like they know each other. And we realized pretty quickly uh, that we actually had inadvertently crashed uh, Deputy Chief Callison's retirement party. And he was the fire chief um, there in Dixon. And so we accidentally crashed his retirement party, which makes sense why this bar was open on, on mon- late Monday night. Um, and so we didn't know, well, luckily Mike knew, of course, like half the people there, but, uh, so we got introduced to some of them, but uh, it was weird because we did not belong, right? We were not, we were not emergency personnel, 
We were not firemen. And every, when we walked in there, everyone knew we were not firemen, right? And it was kind of weird. Um, has that ever happened to you where you go to a place and you don't know anybody and you like don't belong and everyone knows you don't belong and it's kind of awkward? It's actually another quick story. This actually happened again just yesterday. Um, I was driving my mom to Quad Cities to pick up a rental car. She went back to Kansas yesterday and, um, and we stopped at, in Hillsdale. Do you know this, know this town way out there, a little itty-bitty town? Um, so I pull up to the gas station, and I'm pumping gas, and there are two people also pumping gas, and they're chatting with each other about work, about their families. And I don't know if you do this, um, but do you do the thing where you like, look at somebody and you wait to make eye contact so you can like, greet them? And sometimes they don't look at you, and it gets kind of awkward because you're kind of creeping. You're just like looking at them, waiting for them. And so then you like, keep glancing up to, to see if they'll look at you. Well, I kept doing this to these two people, and they would not look at me. And uh, a third car pulls up, and guy gets out of that car and begins to pump his gas. And the two people there greet this guy by name, and they all begin talking to each other about whatever's going on. None of them looked over at me and greeted me. Now, Hillsdale's really small, right? Um, so they probably know everybody's car, and they know everybody's face. And they knew that my CRV was not one of their cars, and they knew that my face was not one of their faces, Right? And it was awkward. Has this ever happened to you? You go into a place where you know you don't belong and everybody else knows that you don't belong and it's weird. Well, I call this, um, I call this the country club mentality. And I realize it's kind of picking on country clubs, but it can be any, any group of people, right? Motorcycle clubs sometimes do this where if you don't look like them or dress like them, you're kind of an outsider. Um, but other groups do this too. Uh, sports teams can do this and even... Um, even churches do this, and it's just kind of natural for us as humans. We gather together with people who look like us, people who sound like us, people who dress like us. It's just kind of the natural human inclination to think that the way that I live and the way that I talk and the way that I, you know, take care of my yard and my house, the way that I, uh, the place that I work, it's better, and I like it, and so I'm going to spend time with the people who are like me, look like me, sound like me, and are like me. That's a pretty natural human inclination, Right? And I'm sure you've all experienced this. There have been times where you have your own uh, little group of friends. You enjoy each other. Someone who's from the outside comes in, and it's awkward. Because you have your inside jokes. You know how to have conversation with one another. It doesn't feel right. Well, this is um, just a natural human inclination. To gather with people that look and sound and act and dress like us. And so that's what makes this so amazing. Because if I were going to start a religion... I would start it by getting people who all look alike and sound alike and talk alike and probably people who have a lot of money and I would get them together and say, if you follow me, you'll get lots of money and then I would get lots of money from them, right? That's how I would start a religion is I would get people that looked and sounded alike and I said, if you want to be part of our group, you have to dress like us, you have to talk like us, you have to be like us to be part of this group. If I were to start a religion, that's how I would start it. That's what makes this passage so confounding is because when God started his church, when he gave the disciples the very, his very presence, the first thing that happens is they immediately open the circle to people who don't look like them, people who don't talk like them, and people who don't sound like them, smell like them, dress like them. These were all Galileans, presumably. They had their own little group, They were all blue-collar people with funny accents. But as soon as they receive the Holy Spirit, they open up the circle to people who don't, people from all over the place, 
That list is people from Africa, people from Europe, people from the Far East, people from the Middle East. People, they would have different skin colors. They would have vastly different languages. They would have vastly different cultures. But they were all brought into the church in one go. We actually hear that 3,000 people were added to the church that day. And they began to gather with one another in their homes. And this is one of the most amazing things about the church early on. It's the thing that Rome really didn't like about them. is because as part of these churches, you would have Romans and non-Romans existing together as equals. And you would actually have slaves and their owners existing together as equals in the church. And this is what we read as we go on. Peter begins to preach a sermon and he says this. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And even upon my slaves, which the uh, Hebrew translation just says slaves. So it's my people who are slaves. Uh, Both men and women in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. You see how almost every wall that we build, every barrier that we build between people, it gets broken down. Men and women, slaves and free, young and old, everybody gets the spirit. Everybody gets God's personal presence. Everybody gets it. And we actually hear at the end of this passage, um, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So immediately, when God fills his disciples, he opens up the circle to people who look different, sound different, and are different. Nowhere else in our society does this happen. There is nowhere else that people who come from vastly different cultures, vastly different experiences, vastly different backgrounds all come together and live in community with one another. It doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. Nothing else creates this kind of community. Nothing else does. But this is how God decided to start his church, was creating this community where those who were enslaved and their owners were seen as equal, where men and women were seen as equal, where children were honored for, their, um, for what they add and bring to the church. This is immediately how he starts his church. This is confounding. This makes no sense to do this. And frankly, uh, the church has not really held on to this super well because we oftentimes make country clubs out of our churches. We, uh, everyone looks the same, sounds the same, dresses the same, and if you're not like them, you feel awkward, you feel uh, put off by it, but the church at its best, and I believe that lots of local churches achieve this more than maybe we know, these complex communities, these diverse communities of people who look and sound and talk different, gathering together all because of Jesus Christ. And we hear this pretty troubling statement here at the end that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means people that don't look like you will be saved. That means people who don't dress like you will be saved. That means the people that you don't like can be saved. You see, the bar gets lowered, and in a good way. Because what our faith requires, it does not require an adoption of a philosophy. It does not require an adoption of a culture. 
It does not require an adoption of even, even I would say, a lifestyle. And every other religion in the world requires this. If you become Mormon, you have to adopt the Mormon philosophy. You have to adopt the Mormon lifestyle. If you become a Muslim, you have to adopt the Muslim philosophy. You have to adopt the Muslim lifestyle. You have to adopt how they dress and how they talk. But Christianity does not demand this. It only demands faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. If you believe and you trust in the physical, bodily resurrection and ascension of Jesus of Nazareth, you're in. That's all it requires. And that's troubling because we like to build barriers around people. We like to to tell people who's in and who's out. We like to make judgments on other people because of how they live or how they talk or how they dress or how they look or how they clean themselves, right? We like to, to put judgment on people. But God destroys this in this statement that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's regardless of your political philosophy, regardless of your economic philosophy, regardless of your cleverness, of your smartness, regardless of your skin color, regardless of your legal status, regardless of your sexuality. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you will be saved. If you trust in him, you will be saved. Now, Jesus has a lot to say about how we spend our money. He also has a lot to say about sex. He has a lot to say about families. So to trust in him is to follow him. But to get into the church, the bar is so low. To get in, it's simple. Trust in Jesus. Then we'll have to handle all the other stuff that comes after that. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a capitalist. It doesn't matter if you're a communist. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat, if you're a Republican, if you're black, you're white, you're Asian. None of those things matter to get into the church. It doesn't matter if you dress well, dress poorly. It doesn't matter if you have running water in your home. It doesn't matter if you live in your car. To get into the church, it takes one thing, faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. You're in, full stop. You have all the same benefits that I do. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have all the same benefits that the Apostle Paul had. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have all the same benefits that every Christian of all times ever has had. Full stop. You're in. Then we can deal with all the other stuff afterwards, right? But you're in. And this is amazing, guys. This is so cool. And it's so different from what we expect. And here's the reality. Is that we have a faith that couldn't survive a country club mentality. If we had an in-and-out mentality, we would not survive. And guess what? There are lots of local churches that do have that mentality, and guess what? Most of them are dead or dying, right? We could not survive if we had a country club mentality, but luckily there have been local churches that have been faithful to Jesus and if, have, have proclaimed the gospel with clarity and welcomed all to be part of what he has for us. So the challenge for you guys, or the invitation maybe, is um, to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to embrace this. Embrace the diversity of the church. Embrace those that look different, dress different, sound different than you. Knowing that Jesus died for them, as well as for you. If you feel challenged or off-put by this teaching, then maybe you need to think seriously about the demands of Jesus. Um, Because guess what? You're not going to be able to do it. (laughs) You can't actually effectively follow Jesus. But he died for you. He died for me. He died for the people that we don't like. 
He died for the people that we don't agree with. And if we put our trust in him, we have full inclusion, full stop. But that's the gift of God. And I think it's fantastic. And I think it's so illogical (laughs) to do it that way. But that's the way that God does it. And so when we proclaim that Christ is risen, we proclaim it to everybody. And we look forward to hearing from everybody that he is risen indeed. Indeed. 